Good evening, Fellowship College. As we're walking around and, and finding seats. And we're so excited that you guys are here and, and, and that we're going to get to worship together this evening. Um, hey, listen, uh, this evening is going to be a little different uh, maybe than in the past few services because I think that a lot of you may be coming in here feeling a little different after the news about one of your fellow students passing away yesterday morning. And so uh, that is not lost on us. Uh, I know a lot of you are probably confused and, and hurting, uh, and that's okay. Uh, it's okay for us as Christians to grieve and to lament. In fact, it's healthy for us. Uh, and so we'll have time to do that this evening. Um, there's also celebration so, but I know a lot of you are coming in with these thoughts of like things that um, any, anytime something like this happens, it's jarring. And we have a lot of thoughts of like, oh, man, what, what could I have done differently? Or how could I have been a better friend or um, whatever that may be. And, and, and maybe, maybe you have no idea uh, what I'm talking about. And that's fine, too. Um, but I think a lot of times we come in with a lot of questions. How can, I, how can I be different? How can I respond? Or, um, or, or the opposite of, man, I'm, I felt like I was a really good friend. Or um, we, start, we start putting our identity in these things of, um, and I, I, I am a good friend. Or I'm a good uh, brother or sister, son or daughter. I'm a really good student. Or um, I'm, I'm really good and... I'm really good to my boyfriend. I'm really good to my girlfriend. And we start putting a lot of weight into these things, and and they they build up and and they create our identity. But the problem with that is that when we fail in those things, when we screw up on a test or um, we're a bad brother, bad sister, a bad uh, child, then we feel like crap. Because that's what we've put our identity in. So now our identity has changed and we are heavier. Or maybe it's as, it's as simple as um, sending a Snapchat to someone and, and, and you're snapping back and forth and, and they're responding and you're, and you're feeling good. You got a crush on this person and they're responding and, and man, you're feeling good. Like, um, but, but then all of a sudden they leave you on red and, and, then, and then you just you dip. You know, it's funny, but like that's that's where our, our spirits go. Now now we're saying to ourselves, okay, where what did I say that that uh, scared them away? What did I say that, that put them off? And so our identity is just up and down, up and down. But I have good news. In Galatians three, we read, so in Christ Jesus. You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Get this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our identities are washed away by the blood of Christ. Christ now becomes our new identity. And here's the best thing about that. Christ's identity does not change. 
So when our identity is constantly changing because we're, we're putting our worth in how other people see us or in the way people respond to us, our identity changes, we lose hope and we fall into depression and anxiety. So you see, there, there's a better place to put your identity and that is in the atoning works of Christ. That's my plea with you this evening. Remember what Christ has done for you. Put your identity in him and in him alone and it will not change and you will not be shaken. And so we're gonna sing about that. We're gonna sing, we are no longer slaves. We've been set free because of Christ. And so let's stand together and let's sing this together. I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. I am. 
College, how are y'all doing tonight? Good. While you're standing up, turn around to your neighbors, say hello, socially distance, of course, and share about your favorite meal you had this week. <laughs> I cleaned it up. 
All right, y'all can take a seat. You can continue the meal conversation later because I know it's, it's a great conversation starter. Um, welcome, we are so glad y'all are here tonight. Um, if, you, if this is your first time or if you've been here for years, you probably have noticed that there's some friendly faces that are greeting you as you walk into uh, the service every Sunday night. And those individuals are actually part of a greater team called Greet Team. And so we have Ryan and Lindsay who help lead and serve on the team. If y'all wanna come up on stage, Woo, yeah, give them a hand. <laughs> They're gonna tell us a little bit more about what Greet Team is and why they are doing it. So Ryan, if you wanna tell us a little bit more what it is and what your vision for it is. Yeah, hey guys, I'm Ryan. Um, I know that y'all think the Greet Team is just me and Lindsay. You see us walking in instead of like Victoria from The Bachelor or something. We need to send her home. Anyway, it's not the point. We love to just interact with y'all, and Jesus came to interact with us as a person, and we just love outreach, we love community, and we'd love for y'all to partake in that with us. So Lindsay's gonna tell a little bit about why she came to do this. Yeah, um, Ryan said that perfectly, that just all we wanna do is just outreach and just meet all of you guys, and it's been a blast. And the reason that I wanted to join the Greek team was because I felt like I was at a place in my relationship with the Lord that I really wanted to do more. Um, Jesus is a servant and Jesus is loving and I knew that I was lacking in those spots so I felt like joining the Greek team was a great way for me to start serving others and to start loving others better. Um, and it's been great, I've been on it for about two years and it's been a blast, and we would love for all of you guys to join. It's a great way to serve in the church, to help build a community, meet some friendly faces of believers, and that's just like super important, and we have a blast. It is, you know, Ryan and I just can't wait to meet all of you guys, and we wanna meet all of you guys, um, so we want you guys to join it, and if you guys, is there, okay, yep. On the link in the bio on Fellowship College on their Instagram, um, there will be a link that you guys can click on and help if you guys wanna join us. Um, Ryan and I will also be out in the lobby after the service if you guys wanna chat with us, talk about Victoria from The Bachelor or see how you can get involved. Um, She's so bad. You know. All right, well, thank you guys and we really hope you guys join. It's a blast and a great way to serve in the church. All right, give them a hand. Thank you, Lindsay and Ryan. Um, how many of y'all have served with Camp War Eagle? I know we do like a camp call every week, but how many of y'all serve Camp War Eagle? Okay, yes. Um, so there are some people from Camp War Eagle out in the lobby. I tell y'all probably saw them as you came into the service. Um, camp War Eagle is a local camp here in Northeast Arkansas. It has a great mission and vision. And so we'd love for y'all to stop at the table, learn more about that. If you don't have summer plans, it's a great way to learn more about what you could fill your summer with. So be sure to stop by their booth on the way out. Um, now we're gonna go ahead and just move into our next time of worship. And so I'd love just for us to um, posture our hearts in the same way and love for us to start prayer. Father, we are just so thankful for um, tonight, Lord. We're so thankful to be here in this room and gathering in worship and just praising your name and learning more about you, God. 
I pray, Lord, that each of these students are walking in here with um, different things in their hearts, different struggles, um, different hurts, different pains. And God, as Garland teaches on forgiveness tonight, Lord, I pray that um, these students, are their hearts are open um, to receive what he has to say, Lord, and what you want them to know. So Lord, I just pray that we posture our hearts into learning more about you and just worshiping you. So name we pray, amen. Let's stand and continue to worship. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness. You have filled me with peace. And given mercy, you're my help in time of need. can't help
Matthew 28, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had for the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience on me, I and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of his debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Bing. That's weird. Let's pray. Well, uh, Jesus, we need you by the power of your spirit to work in this place tonight. 
and to enable us to, to, to go to some, maybe some difficult places tonight and to get healing from you. You're the only one that, that can. And so Jesus, as we look at this parable that you spoke nearly two millennia ago, it's gonna unlock some incredibly profound things. And we ask that you would do that by the power of your spirit. In your name, Jesus, amen. Y'all can grab a seat. Well, I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with anger, pride, lust, and control. My name is Garland. Right, so, uh, I'll, I'll do that again because some of you are caught off guard by that. Uh, so I've been through, uh, we have a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery, and uh, the, the guy that leads Celebrate Recovery is here tonight. His name's Andy. He's back in the back right now. He'll be up here later. Um, I've been through two uh, what are called step studies where you spend about nine months kind of examining your life, looking at your life, and letting the Lord come in to some place in your life where we've got hurts or struggles or habits and issues that are ongoing or just hang-ups that just keep us stuck. And so uh, I'll introduce myself again, and uh, when I get done saying, uh, my name is Garland, you'll say, hi, Garland. That's how step study works, so I'll introduce myself again. Uh, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I, I struggle with anger, pride, lust, and control, and my name is Garland. Thank you. Should we all introduce each other, do that? That'd be kind of fun. Uh, it'd take a while, and some of you would hate it. Um, anyway. So let me also, uh, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a warning uh, tonight. We're gonna look at some, uh, this parable, I think digs up for us some, some difficult things. And when you start talking about forgiveness, sure, we all know that forgiveness for small little things is easy. But forgiveness for the real wounds, for the pain of your life, for things that people have done to you, the brokenness that's happened to you because of actions of other people, uh, that gets really difficult. I'm just gonna give you warning uh, right off the bat. We're gonna end the service just with, with some time for you to pray and process, but that's where we're gonna be going. Uh, let me introduce you also. Uh, some of you know them. I've seen them before. This is my, these are my three kids. Uh, on the left is Titus and uh, our two daughters, redheaded daughters. We've got Hattie is our middle one. She's six. And little Collins is three, and she's a Tasmanian devil uh, at our house. And, and, and here's what I've noticed uh, at our house, and this probably happened with you and your siblings growing up. When I was growing up, when my brother and I, I've got a younger brother, when we had uh, conflict, usually the way that the, the resolution of that conflict would, would go would go something like this. Whoever got kind of caught by the parent, whoever was the loudest, or whoever hurt the other person the most, usually, whether it was your fault or not, that person, as long as I said something like, I'm sorry, that pretty much was sufficient in my house growing up. But that's not so with Sarah and I. We've upped the game in our house. Here's what we do. And I want you to think back to, if you had siblings, what your parents made you do with your siblings. What we make our kids do when they're, in, when, like, when they're fighting with each other, which by the way happens like every day often, uh, when they're fighting with each other and, and one of them needs to apologize, we make them go through the whole formula. It goes something like this. Some of you had to do this growing up. So let's say it's Titus and he's, he's hurt Hattie, he's hit Hattie. He has to say, uh, I'm sorry, Hattie, for, he's got to state what he's, what he's sorry for, I'm sorry, Hattie, for hitting you, comma, will you forgive me? He's got to say the full formula. And if he gives me like a, I'm sorry, we're like, no, no, do it again. And if he gives with attitude, you need to calm down. Let's separate for a minute, come back in here. What do you need to tell Hattie? I'm sorry, Hattie, for hitting you, Will you forgive me? Now think back to whatever it was your parents made you do if you had siblings uh, and parents that made you do such things. Uh, now here's what I've noticed with our kids. So Titus makes that statement. I'm sorry, Hattie, for hitting you. Will you forgive me? Here's what I've noticed. Oftentimes, there's a pause 
on the other end of that. And it happens with both, with both kids. There's a pause on the other end of that. So much so that sometimes we as the parent have to go, Hattie, do you have something to say to Titus? Think about it. Will you forgive Titus? And sometimes even we'll have to force her, Hattie, do you need to think about this? Sometimes Titus has forgiven you. What should you say to Titus? And it's drawn my attention as we look at this parable here in a minute to how difficult it is to forgive. Like if you think about it, he's offering the sincere apology, as sincere as he can be at eight, and she will sometimes sit there in anger and vice versa because extending that forgiveness is actually really, really difficult if you think about it. We're gonna look and continue our series on the parables tonight. And remember, we're gonna say this over and over and over again. When you're studying parables, you don't begin by asking, what does this parable say about me? These are not cute moral lessons for you to be a better Christian, okay? That's not what parables are. That might be a helpful question as a secondary question, but your first question is this. What does this parable say about Jesus and his kingdom? And then secondarily, what does this say about does that make sense? And Josh last week gave us these three categories that was really helpful. These are three categories or buckets for types of parables. When you see a parable, they usually fit into one of these three buckets. All right, here they are. One set of parables explains the nature of the kingdom, like the mustard seed. The kingdom starts small, but it has global expansion. Okay? Another, that was what we looked at last week. Another set of parables, the one we're going to look at tonight, they explain the ethics or the way of life of the kingdom. A good example of that one is the Good Samaritan, okay? Now, a third kind of parable, and we're gonna see these later in our series, uh, they are Jesus bringing, presenting a parable of judgment, especially on the Israel of his day that is rejecting him. Three types of parables, and tonight we're gonna look at this second kind of parable, and we're gonna, what we're gonna see is this. Jesus is gonna give an ethic of radical radical, sacrificial, difficult forgiveness. And our three sort of points as we're gonna work through this, our Roman numerals as we work through this. Now, by the way, hard time out real fast. I say this all the time. Let me thank you. Those of you that bring your Bible and a notebook and a pen, that's awesome. For the rest of your life, you're a follower of Jesus. When somebody's gonna teach the Bible, whether you agree with them or not, take notes. That way you can go back later and go, I don't know if I agreed with that or that was really interesting. I need to reteach that. You take notes, and I give you the three points, not because I'm working on my alliteration, if I can make them all start with letter N. It's not cute. I'm doing this so that you can write Roman numeral one, Roman numeral two, and then take notes as you go and orient yourself to where we're at in this particular 30-minute block tonight, all right? Here's what we're gonna be looking at, our three points tonight. Radical forgiveness. First, we're gonna see the nature of it. Second, the need for it. And last, we're gonna get really pragmatic with the practice of it. So what is radical, radical forgiveness? The nature of it, the need for it, and the practice of it. Now, as I want you to turn your Bibles, Matthew 18. If you got your Bible, uh, phone, whatever you got, Google it. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to pick it up in verse 21. But while you're turning there, uh, as I was re you know, reading commentary and thinking through the passage, this little short comment by a really smart Bible theologian uh, scholar named R.T. France, I, I was like, God, that's awesome. So I just stole it. I'm just putting it right here so you can see it. He says this, and I think this is so good. You can write this down in your Bible at the beginning of that parable or write it in a note on your phone, whatever you want to do. A community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. A community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. 
community. That's where we're going to be going tonight as we look at this parable. I'll say it again. A community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. Now, let's pick up the story here in Matthew 18, verse 21. Here's what we see. Uh, the context. Jesus has been teaching on what do you do when your brother or sister sins against you. So somebody sins against you. They hurt you. They, they uh, abuse you or something happens to you. Somebody's hurting you. And Jesus in Matthew 18, 15 and following, he's been talking about the process of what you do when somebody sins against you. You start by going to that person by yourself. Then you go with two people. Then you bring a community around. He gives us that, that formula of what that looks like. And I imagine, I'm gonna be a little bit mocking of Peter here. As Jesus is teaching that, one of the disciples, Peter, it's almost like he goes, ooh, 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 I got a question. He's going to be impressed by this. Jesus is talking about how the process of dealing with people who sin against you. Peter goes, hey, Jesus, how much should I forgive? When somebody sins against me, he's all about forgiveness. Check this out. How much should I forgive? And he even takes it a step further. Look at what he does. Forgive my brother or sister who sins against me. He says, up to, up to seven times. Now, the, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis in Jesus' day, here's what they taught. Somebody is sinning against you, you forgive them three times. So what did Peter do? He doubled it and added one for good measure. He's gonna love this. The rabbis say three, watch this. Hey, Jesus, how much should I forgive? Watch this. Seven? It's pretty impressive, right, Jesus? And I, I, don't we hate that person, the teacher's pet, or like the coach's pet when you were growing up on a, on a team, that person who's always just trying to impress the coach and is only doing what they do so the teacher notices them? I always hated it. That guy. And if you, if you don't think you had that guy growing up, you are that guy, okay? So he says up to, up to seven times. And look at what Jesus, how Jesus responds. I tell you, no, 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 no. Not seven times, but 77 times. Now, Jesus is not saying, all right, let's do 77, now you're done. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's being really intentional here. In Hebrew, the number seven is a very important number. It, ca it carries the idea of wholeness or fullness or completeness. It comes from the seven-day week, the seven uh, days of creation, the week. And the number 70 is like seven, fullness and completeness, but in a macro scale. When the family of Israel goes down to Egypt, there's 70 of them. When the Israelites go into exile, they go for 70 years. It's fullness, but on a macro level. When you smash those two things together, this happens a handful of times in the Old Testament, what, it's, what it means is, it's the biggest, most utmost, full, complete you can get. So Jesus isn't going, all right, I'm at, I'm at 71, 72, I'm almost finished. What he's saying is, the fullness of forgiveness, as much as there is an offense, you offer forgiveness. Complete, whole, full forgiveness. And right off the bat, this is a radical Ethic. The rabbi said three. Peter went seven. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Whole forgiveness. A community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. And then he begins to tell them a parable. Now, here's what's interesting as we look at the nature of forgiveness. Because it got me thinking, what even is forgiveness? How does it work? What is this thing that we call forgiveness? And Jesus is so helpful here. He gives us an example that involves Money, something with a monetary value. And I think that is so, so helpful to illustrate the nature 
of forgiveness. Let me do it uh, with something more close to me because I never owed anybody 10,000 talents. But let me give a closer example to me. This is a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Tyler. And he, uh, I told him I was gonna tell the story. He said, give me a shout out. So he, Tyler Chola, he makes furniture and he builds houses like he's a carpenter. And he also makes guitars, all right? So he, he hand makes guitars and sells them. And uh, a couple of years ago, so the shout out would be if you wanna buy a guitar, like, He's the guy, Come, I'll tell you later. So anyway, he, he, he hand makes these guitars and he sells them. And a couple years ago, he had made this guitar that he was gonna sell for about $1,500. And I had, he and I were talking about it and I said, dude, I'd love to play that. So I was leading worship uh, in like Sunday morning that week and I was like, I used to lead worship, used to be worship leader around here. And I was like, man, I'd love to like borrow that guitar and use it. And he said, sure, no problem. And so I, I took that guitar, and uh, we had the 9 o'clock Sunday morning service and the 10.30 service. It was sitting, uh, Burton, I'm not going to break your guitar. It was sitting exactly like this guitar is right now, okay? And after the service, we were picking stuff up and cleaning. And as I was walking over here, there was a cord that was underneath this music stand. And as I was going by it, I began to fall, and the cord lifted up. And by the way, uh, this guy, he runs sound for us. He's in the back booth. And on that particular Sunday morning, he was here running sound. He's not here today. And so as I began to fall, the, the cord lifted up this music stand, and his guitar that he was going to sell for $1,500 came all the way down and smashed right here. And it made a horrifically bad sound. And he's in the back, and I, I went, oh, oh, no. And he came walking down. And I picked it up, and I looked at it. And right here, it was cracked, just totally cracked. And all the strings just laying flat on the fretboard here. And he came up to the front, and I just, I, just handed, I just held it out like this. And I went, it's broken. I broke it. And now we have an issue, right? Here's the issue. This guitar is worth $1,500. He's gonna sell it for $1,500. Somebody has to pay that debt. There's two options here. Either Tyler can say, you idiot. You're such an idiot. Dude, you owe me $1,500. You've broken this thing that I let you borrow. It costs this much. Pay up. Which I wouldn't have had it. You pay up, I need $1,500. Or he can also, the opposite of that would be, he could say, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll take care of it, don't worry about it. But notice what happens when he does that. Who absorbs the $1,500? He does. He absorbs the $1,500. He can either make me pay it, pay up, you broke it, or he could say, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal, I forgive you. But what happens when he does that? He absorbs the debt. It just cost him $1,500 dollars. You see, do you see why Jesus uses a money example? Because we, we totally get it when it comes to money, right? Here's the problem. This is where we're gonna have to go deep here. Most of your deepest wounds and hurts and things that, that linger with you and the ways that people have hurt you and betrayed you, broken promises against you, you can't measure those in dollar signs, right? Like, Jesus uses a money example to illustrate it, but he knows that when we talk about real pain, you can't measure it with a dollar sign next to it. Yet we all know that, that it's like that debt is still there, right? 
We all have sensed it, like with a sibling growing up, you know when that's there. Or if you've been in a relationship, like a dating relationship, you know when you've wounded that person. It's like there's a, it's almost like there's a debt there, but you can't quantify it in dollar, in dollar amounts. Or when you and your parents, you've, you've sinned against them and you need to, or they've sinned against you and you need to forgive them. You can sense it, right? You can feel that debt. And Jesus uses an example involving money to illustrate something, but he knows it's way harder than that. And Jesus knows that when we offer forgiveness, somebody is taking that debt. And when you offer forgiveness, you're saying, I'm gonna sacrifice the power that this gives me to hold this over you. I'm, I'm yielding it. And it's incredibly difficult, right? Now we all know for the small little things, like you said you're gonna be here at this time, you're late, now my, my day got my, kind of messed up. It's easy to forgive that, right? Okay, I'll forgive you. But for the deep pain, for the deep wounds, we know what a sacrifice this is to be this kind of a forgiving person. The big ones, the hard, difficult ones, the deep wounds and the deep hurt, it's really sacrificial to offer that forgiveness. Look at the example Jesus gives. He says, it's, this is crazy, this is ridiculous. Jesus is being, anybody listening to this would be like, that's ridiculous. He goes, the king wants to settle with one of his servants and this guy shows up and he owes 10,000 bags of gold is how the NIV translates it. Now that's not, that, that's okay. They're trying to do some work for us. What, what the, the, the ESB we heard earlier said, 10,000 talents. Now let me give you a, a equivalent of what that's worth. Here it is. One denarii is a day's wage. So think about what, it, what you make in one day's worth of work. Think about an eight hour day. That's one denarii. One talent is 6,000 denarii, 6,000 days wages, all right? That's a lot of cash. So 10,000 talents is the equivalent roughly, and I did this based on like an, eight, like an $8 an hour, which isn't that much. 60, it's, it ends up being 60 million denarii. You run that down with an $8 work week, it's $3.4 trillion dollars. By the way, that's, with, that's if it's a silver talent. Gold talent, even more. Jesus uses a crazy example that nobody could pay. And he says, the master forgives. Look at what happens. The servant falls on his knees, and this is the nature of forgiveness. The master, he says he took pity on him. He, he emotionally reached out to this person. His heart went out to this servant he placed himself in his shoes. Yeah, I've done things that put me in other people's debt before. I get how you got here. I understand. I'm not better than you. I'm not above you. I get it. He also, notice, it says he canceled the debt. The Greek word is apoluo, which means to take something and release it away from you, to loose it away, to release it, send it away. And the last, the last thing that NIV is going with, let him go, I think the word is me. I like the word forgiveness better for that. He took pity on him, he released it, and he forgave him. But notice, who absorbs the debt in the parable? Just like Tyler had to absorb that debt of that guitar, the master takes the 3.4 trillion. He takes the 10,000 talents. This is a huge sacrifice for this master. I want you to see, forgiveness is way harder than I think we often think, and for your big wounds, you know it. Now second, let's see the need for it. This parable ends weird. Look at how it ends. And I'm gonna read it, and my bet is a lot of you are like, dude, Jesus, you need to calm down. 
That's a little bit intense. That's really harsh. Let me, here's how the parable ends. Just look at it. Remember what happens? The master that had been forgiven much, he goes out and somebody owes him three months worth of wages and he says, you better pay it all back. And he begins to choke him out. And the other servants go and tell the master and he says, get that guy in here. And he pulls him in here. And he says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Let us pray, right? I mean, that is unbelievably harsh. Now, a couple of comments. First of all, he's not saying you can lose your salvation, all right? Parables, this is not a theological treatise on your salvation. He's making a point about forgiveness and what it looks like. So he's not saying you're gonna lose your salvation. So don't, don't go there if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, the second thing is this. Jesus takes this kind of forgiveness incredibly seriously. He knows what a big deal this is. He knows how badly we need this. And my question is, why? And as I was thinking about this this week, I think I've got two, two answers for you. Why must we be this kind of forgiving? Two reasons. Here they are. The first reason is something like this. When we refuse to forgive, Jesus knows that that is always, ultimately, about power. Think about it. When I have somebody that has wounded me and I refuse to offer them that forgiveness, it puts me in a position of moral superiority to them. And we like that, don't we? And it enables me to say things like, well, that's just the kind of person that they are. I would never do something like that. Or they've always been this way. They're never gonna change. I'm not gonna forgive them. It puts us in a self-righteous position of superiority and we begin to puff ourselves up thinking, I would never do something like that. And Jesus knows that is always going to destroy our soul. That's the opposite of what the gospel came to set us free from, that sort of self-importance, self-righteousness that we do when we don't forgive. Second reason might be even more scary. First reason is it puts us in a position of power. Second reason is, Oftentimes, when we don't forgive, it imprisons us. It ensnares us in our anger and bitterness. And often, that festers and grows into something much worse. And it ends up tethering us to that wound, sometimes for years, maybe for the rest of your life. That wound now comes to define me because it's created a bitter, angry thing in me and I won't release it. And now I'm owned by that wound and it might've happened two decades ago for you. Uh, I told you we had to go here. So for me, for me, uh, and I know a lot of you have divorced parents. Uh, my parents divorced when, and I, I, I certainly hope my mom doesn't know how to work the live stream or to watch this. Uh, so she wouldn't like what I'm about to say. Um, my parents divorced uh, when I was two. They actually got divorced before uh, the second divorce, uh, before I was born. And so my parents got divorced, and then they got remarried, um, and then they, my, they had me, I'm the oldest. And then my mom was, she, we lived in Little Rock, she was five, she was about five months pregnant with my little brother. And she was on bed rest because uh, it was a, just a difficult pregnancy. And at that moment, uh, my dad had been having an affair, and my dad... Uh, 
he, he took the money out that they had out of savings, which wasn't that much, and he moved to Fayetteville with his uh, new person, which is now my stepmom, and uh, he started a new life with, with my now stepbrother, and he moved to Fayetteville. He was gone. Now, you can imagine the wound that that was for my mom. I mean, she's on bed rest, and her husband leaves, and he, he left her, he left me, he left my brother who wasn't even born yet. And here's what happened. Uh, my mom refused, and to this day, I'm, I'm 35, it's 33 years ago, that, uh, that wound did both of the things we talked about. It created this self-righteous superiority in her, and how that manifested is, every time I'd come back from dad's house on the weekends, and I would be, I would just weep and cry every single, every other weekend when I'd see my dad. I'd cry for hours. And whenever I'd talk about my dad, all I'd get was, that's a, that son of a, that guy would, and she would just place herself in this position of power. I would never do. And the second thing it did is it created this bitter anger in her. You know what that began to do? I'd come home and now I'm, now I'm five, seven, 12, and I love my dad. I, I, I think my dad's awesome. I, I don't know all about all the details of this. I'm not an adult. I don't know what it's like to get somebody, have somebody cheat on you. And so all I know is my mom's running my dad into the ground. And so you know what happens? In her bitterness, now her and I begin to have tons and tons of conflict over this. To the point where when I left for college, I remember thinking, I don't, I'm, I'll be fine if I don't go back. My wife and I got married. There was so much bitterness and so much pain. And now for me, there's this deep animosity toward my mom. You know what I was doing? I would never act like her. I will never be bitter like her. I was doing the very same thing. And I, I actually am so grateful for my wife. I'm, I've been married almost 12 years, and my wife had the wisdom, I think, to begin to push me. And I did two step studies to, get, to be able to understand that that kind of bitterness for me, that kind of putting myself in power over my mom like that was never, ever gonna do anything but ruin my soul and rob me of joy. And man, I'm gonna tell you, uh, doing what Jesus says here, to take pity on my mom to go, man, that would, be, that would suck for somebody to leave me like that. That was really hard for me because I wanted to say she, she's this kind of person. And to release it, I'm not all the way there yet, but I'm happy to learn how to release that and to say, I forgive you. By the way, she hadn't come ask me for forgiveness. She hadn't said, I'm sorry. You know, it's even harder, and I've just learned this. I never dealt with the fact that my dad didn't just leave my mom. He left me until I had my own kids. And now I've got to have to work through, what does it mean for me to like forgive my dad for leaving us? I mean, golly, how do I do this, but if I don't, it'll rob me of joy. Do you see how important this is? Do you see why Jesus is ending this parable with such harsh words? The nature of it, the need for it, and lastly, the practice of it. I wanna get super pragmatic with you here, okay, practical. I'm gonna give you some myths about forgiveness. Here's the first one. Then we're gonna put a bow on this and we're gonna pray. The first myth is this. When you forgive, it means you forgive and forget. Well, if I forgive him, it means I'm supposed to move on. Can I just tell you? Impossible. For the deep wounds, impossible. For many of them, you'll, you'll never forget it. It might surface at the most random times and flood you with emotion and pain. Forgive and forget, it's impossible, it's unrealistic, and by the way, it trivializes the wound that you have. It's not true, it's not what Jesus is saying. 
By the way, when Jesus is resurrected, still has the scars. But now they're scars that lead to new creation and new life. But the scars remain. Forgive and forget, it's, it's unrealistic and it's impossible. Second myth, that the offender gets off the hook. By the way, I know how heavy this is. I know this isn't what we normally do. I get it. Uh, that's a heavy thing to say. The offender gets off the hook if I forgive them. Can I just say, the above context right before this, this parable is Jesus saying, here's how you go and confront the one who is sinning against you. There very well may need to be consequences, boundaries placed between you and that person. They, need, they, they might need to go to jail for whatever it is they did to you. So it doesn't mean they get off the hook if I forgive them. Third myth, it only happens, I hear this one all the time, yeah, I'll forgive them when they come and apologize first. Otherwise, I'm not gonna forgive them. Can I, can I show you what that does? It tethers you to that wound until that person acts. And oftentimes it creates a double wound, the original wound and the fact that they've never understood that they hurt you that bad. And now you're stuck and shackled to that, to that pain. Forgiveness is you stepping into it even, even if they haven't come. And you see how hard this is? This is so challenging and radical. Fourth, I hear this one a lot. Man, I'll forgive when I feel like I wanna forgive him, but I'm not there yet. Can I just tell you, your emotions will lie to you all the time. Jesus is not talking about an emotional experience. He's talking about a, a matter of our will, a choice that we are making. And he knows it's a sacrifice. The master takes the hit in this one, last one. That it's a one-time event, it means it's gotta be, it's done after that. And I gotta get to this major moment where I forgive them. Can I just tell you, you might have to be forgiving that person over and over and over again for yourself and for them, for, for the rest of your life. I mean, Jesus said, it's not just seven times, but 70, full, 77 times, full forgiveness. Now, I want you to see why this is in the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever wondered, why is it in the Lord's Prayer? It's so weird. Do you see how important this is? Do you see how meaningful this is? And by the way, if you're here tonight, you're like, I don't think I have any big wounds. Can I just tell you, you're probably in the minority, and as we sing in a minute, praise God for that. Just as we sing, just go, God, you're so awesome, you've blessed me. I don't even, I can't think of a, main, a major wound in my life. Praise God for that. But you're probably in the minority in this room. There's a reason in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Lord, may we extend this kind of radical forgiveness. By the way, in a culture that we live in that is more divided, more angry, more bitter, more loud, more... This is a radical ethic that our world desperately needs. Our society, our community desperately needs it. Now, uh, if you're like me, or here's how we close. Here's what I'd probably be thinking if I were you. Um, okay, this has been a lot. This is heavy. Um, how? How am I supposed to do this? Like, this is difficult. Like, I didn't want to go here tonight. How do I do this? And remember at the beginning we said... When you see a parable, don't start with what does it say about me? And I intentionally took us to a lot of us talk, but I'm saving it for last. What does it say about Jesus and his kingdom? We start there. This parable is ultimately, it's ultimately about Jesus's forgiveness for you. Notice it. There's a master and a servant comes up and he can't do nothing to pay back what he owes. I mean, he is, he's, he's as good as dead in his debt. 
He says, I, I got nothing to do here. I can't pay it back. I'm going to try, but I can't. I can't. And notice what it says the master does. He took pity on him. He's released the debt. He sent it away, canceled it, and he forgave him. Can I show you how Paul summarizes? I think he's, I think he's, he's hitting on this same idea in Colossians 2. Hey, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, man, you had nothing you could do. You were dead in your brokenness. What did God do? He made you alive with Christ. How? He forgave us all of our sin. He released it. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He took it away. How? By nailing it to a cross. And on that cross, as the, the, the weight of all of the brokenness and all of the hurt and all of the pain gathers around Jesus in darkness, he looks out. You know what he says? Father, forgive them. This parable is about the unbelievable forgiveness of Jesus for you and for me. And when we taste that forgiveness, we can now extend that forgiveness. A community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. And here's what we're gonna do now. We've got plenty of time. We've got about 12, 15 minutes. And what I'd like to do is we're just gonna give you time in here to process, pray, to think, to sing, whatever it looks like for you. We're gonna have some of our staff uh, down here just on the steps. And if you're right now going, man, I, I didn't know this was gonna happen tonight, and now you've just pulled out some pain for me, we would love to process that with you. If you just need somebody to pray with you, we're gonna be right down here sitting on the steps. Oh, bring your mask, have your mask on when you come up here. Uh, if you need, maybe what you need to do is you need to walk across the room as we're singing and tap somebody on the shoulder and go, hey, I need to take you out into the foyer. I, I need to forgive you. Maybe you need to go make a phone call while we sing or begin to write down in, on a piece of paper a letter that you might send. And maybe it's really heavy and you need to ask a mentor or somebody that disciples you, should I even send this? Is this appropriate? And, and maybe what you need to do is be reminded of how much you've been forgiven in these next few minutes. The rest of the time we have in here, 12, 15 minutes, is for you and for me to just think about how much Jesus has forgiven us so we might begin to extend that to people in our world because the world desperately needs it. So don't be in a hurry. Whatever, the, whatever this looks like for you, I'm gonna give you the freedom to do that. Let me pray. Jesus, it's a difficult thing for me to think about forgiving my dad for running out. But man, Jesus, you forgave me so much. And I pray that you would fix our minds and our eyes on that right now, that we might extend radical forgiveness in this world in Christ's name. This ain't in our power. This ain't in our strength. I mean, we don't have it. But you've given it to us. So Lord, I pray that you would make us a forgiving people, radically forgiving people. That the world would see that and go, there's something different about them. And our answer is, because we've been forgiven radically. So Lord, just right now, would your spirit work in this place? Help us to, to think and pray and process Jesus. And we'll ask all of this in your name. Amen. The rest of the time we have in here is for you to sing, to think, to pray, to write. Let's sing. Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. I will praise you with the heart.
God. Let's stand and let's worship.
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God.
works of Jesus, we are set free. Father, we bend the knee to you and to you alone. We sing praises to your holy and mighty name. That's what you demand of us. That's what we give you. You demand it because it's for our good and our joy and our thriving. And so, God, we're so thankful for the love that we see in send your son to die for us when we could not obtain righteousness or salvation for ourselves and our own works and our own doings you sent your son to take the place for what we could not do thank you may we remember that every day of our lives thank you for being a good father fellowship college we love you guys We've got staff that's going to stick around for a little bit longer here at the altar. And so if you didn't get a chance to come up and and you would like to pray with uh, one of our staff members, please do that. Please take advantage of that. Um, We love you guys.